Welcome to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Cheryl Gascoigne and Kathleen Robertson, who are affectionately known to us as the Literacy Ladies. So hello, ladies, and welcome. Good morning, Jen. Hi, Jen. I appreciate you so much taking the time to come talk to us today a little bit more about literacy and letting me pick your brain a little bit and get to know a little bit more about what it is that you are so passionate about. So let's start with that question. What is it about literacy that makes you so passionate? Well, I, I'll start with that. I, I think it's the, the love of literacy I have myself and wanting to share that with others. And when I think of it uh, for the students who I've worked with, uh, I just think that I, I want them to have that opportunity to live a literate life. And I want them to be able to do whatever they want to do in their lives, um, to, to live it fully, whatever career path they should choose to, to be uh, informed citizens, to, you know, experience life to the fullest. And I think, you know, being literate really helps with that. And Kathleen, what makes you so passionate about literacy? Well, actually, um, along the similar lines as what Cheryl was saying, um, I really believe in equity in education and that every student deserves the very best instruction in order to achieve whatever they want to achieve. And literacy is really a gateway to that. Um, every, every student is going to become an adult, but it really is about equity and yes. giving every student the opportunity to do whatever they wish in life and to bring their gifts forward to the fullest extent. So in your experience, why is it that some students might struggle with learning to read? There could be a myriad of reasons why students struggle learning to read. It could be um, just lack of experience with books or with oral language, uh, which then of course impacts vocabulary. It could be um, lack of engagement. It could be, um, you know, struggling with all the very, any of the various areas of reading and having little um, speed bumps in their way with that. Um, it, there could be many reasons and it, it just really points to the need for good assessment and data analysis. And so in your experience as well then, why might some teachers struggle to teach students to read? I, I think, um, especially working with a lot of beginning teachers recently, and, and just in my experience over the years with my, my colleagues, I, I don't think teachers come out of university feeling well-prepared and well-rounded to teach all of the aspects of the reading process, writing process, and, and just all the aspects of literacy as a whole. So I, I don't think those intricacies are foundational to a, a teacher's learning and background right from the get-go. So it's very complex. Cheryl, from what you're saying, what comes to mind as well is the fact that a university would prepare a teacher for 
many things but to teach something as in-depth as reading in four years is a very difficult task, especially if you, considering that universities may be preparing um, graduates for teaching kindergarten to grade eight or grade six to 12, and then for a teacher to be put in a teaching assignment that they weren't, they only had a, an overview of what reading looks like at that level may present some challenges. So you've talked about the complexity of literacy. What is it about literacy that makes it so complex to teach and to learn? Uh, literacy is so broad. We think of what goes into reading, for example, oral language, vocabulary, um, phonics, spelling, word study, comprehension, various um, aspects of comprehension, and then fluency as a bridge between um, all that too. It's, it's very complicated. And well, the thing with literacy as well is there are many discrete skills, but then there's also how everything comes together. And I think there's a lot of confusion about that process of reading. Yeah, I, I think the the answer to that lies in part of your question, Jen. It, it is complex and the, the teaching and the learning of it. There, there's many pieces in both the learning side and the teaching side. And you really have to be able to understand all of those pieces and know how to weave them together. Um, in, in the teaching for the students who you have individually and as a whole in your class. When you talk about those pieces, Cheryl, can you give me an example of what some of those pieces might be? Mm -hmm. It goes back to what Kathleen mentioned earlier about uh, why a student might struggle with learning to read. Uh, so you think of the phonemic awareness, phonics, oral language, comprehension, fluency, vocab, motivation, engagement. So there's all of those components that have a variety of components within them. So phonemic awareness has a variety of skills in there for both the teaching and the learning. And then the same can be said for phonics and, and so on. So as a teacher, you have to be very well versed with all of those components and then to know which ones a student might need in particular, especially if they're struggling. So it, it, it's, it's like a puzzle. I, I've always thought of it that way. And, you know, there's all of these pieces and we have to figure out how they all come together for individual students, for groups of students, for your class as a whole. And that, that requires a lot of knowledge a lot of skill, a lot of, um, I think a lot of talent. There really is an art to it. And and I know Kathleen has a, a different visual for how all of those uh, layers and complexities that I like to refer to as the puzzle pieces, but Kathleen has a bit of a different visual for that. And maybe I'll let her speak to that uh, in case that's more, um, if it resonates more with others. I like to think of reading as a net and each of the strings on the net support the reader. So when one of those strings maybe is frayed or a little bit um, a little bit thin, we can build that up, but then it goes towards supporting the whole net and um, again, making sure that 
bringing those pieces of the net actually into the reading process is, is really crucial to make that connection between the skill and the process for this student. Our students bring a lot to the table in terms of their executive functioning, their, um, their culture, and um, you know, the very various aspects of their lives, their emotional state, their motivation, and all those things do strongly impact reading as well and can't be ignored for the sake of teaching um, specific literacy skills. All of those things need to be acknowledged. The whole child brings a package to the table with them. Absolutely. Uh, nicely said, Kathleen. And we really do. And I, I think especially with the times we're in right now, and when we think of resuming learning in, in the fall after this year, we really have to look at those strengths too that, that the students bring. And I think it will be easy to, to see the, the deficits or the lack, but, but we can't lose sight of all they bring to the table and all of those components that, that make them you know, a, a whole child. And just if I can add on to that, Cheryl, I think that what you're saying really speaks to the importance of um, considering what motivates children to read. How do we engage children in reading as they're re-entering our classrooms in a more, um, a more stable way? Planning for the re-entry of students in that more stable way, hoping that the fall is a little bit less frenetic with ins and outs what might be some considerations that teachers would have in terms of fundamental components of their literacy program? We always have to keep in mind that that literacy and the teaching of um, whether in, in past times or present times or you know when we think of the, the year ahead, we really have to think of it in a, a comprehensive way. And we can't lose sight of that. There, there's, I, I've seen, you know, over the years when certain things take precedent over another, you know, perhaps in light of new research or trends or whatnot, or even when you work in a, a school and you have a focus on one component more so than the others, just because that was an area of need and you needed to attend to it, maybe the focus became on writing and you put a lot of professional learning and growth into that and you, you know you'll see the students improve and as practice improves but we can never lose sight of any other component and I and I think that's what we have to keep in mind as we come into the year ahead as well that we, we have to make sure that we still you know, create that love of literacy through through enjoyment. And we teach all the things that need to be taught in relation to any of the early literacy skills that are foundational. And we, you know, we, we keep the focus on, on writing as well because writing and reading are interrelated. And, and we remember that opportunity for, for dialogue and conversation, which builds vocabulary and I just think it, it's all always been important and I think it will continue to be important. Cheryl, that was really nicely said. Um, I'd like to add on as well, 
you know, as our students are returning to our classrooms, really strongly considering how you structure a literary a literacy period and having a good stable structure in place and well taught um, from the outset that supports some um, differentiation, um, small group learning is, is really crucial right now, um, as it is all, all the time, but particularly thinking of um, students who haven't been in a regular school environment for quite a while, um, that predictability will provide some good stability within that structure, taking opportunities to confer with individuals at the beginning of the year and getting to know who they are as readers and writers. And um, that serves the dual purpose of relationship building and providing some formative assessment. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, Kathleen, especially uh, about the small group work, because we are going to see great gains and we'll likely see great gaps as well in, in learning. And that small group work and that ability to differentiate within our, our own classroom will be very impactful. And Dan, I love the second part about creating that, that sense of community with our students, getting to know them as learners. And when you do that, you're able to take them so much further. Kathleen, you talked about structuring the literacy block and making it so that the students are well-versed in how that block operates. What might be an example of a structure a teacher could follow? For example, a reader's workshop. If you have an hour of literacy time, you might spend the first 10 minutes on a reading mini lesson that's targeted towards most of the class. Um, based on your um, data and evidence, you'd end it off with about a five to seven minute closing or sharing time. But the middle portion would be for students to work either on individual goals, writing about reading, um, independent reading. And during that time, when it's well set up, you're able to pull small groups, whether it's guided reading or strategy groups, and engage in individual conferences. So within that reader's workshop, where that period in itself is a structure, you may have several smaller structures going on. A guided reading lesson has a particular structure. A strategy lesson has a particular structure. An individual conference has an individual structure. So you can really uh, work with those structures um, in combination with your data to best meet the needs of your students. Yeah, readers workshops, centers, daily five type structure, which is a modified workshop model, um, all of those structures, when they're well taught, support student success. And Cheryl, you talked about the various components of literacy and making sure that we're focusing on all of them, even when we may be choosing to spend a little more time in one particular area. Can you highlight what some of those components might be? What does that look like in a classroom? Yeah, and, and it varies throughout the, the grades as well, because in the earlier certain components are going to be more important than, than in the later years. So you think of the, the early years really focusing on the components of phonemic awareness, on oral language development, and then in, in the later years, you're, you're really focusing, of course, more on comprehension and vocabulary and 
making sure that content is understood. But that being said, all of those components can come into play depending on a student's needs. You could have a student in later years who is struggling and needing some of those foundational skills in an appropriate manner. But, but really it, it's how to weave in a variety of instructional context throughout the day. And, and that would fit into what Kathleen was just talking about in terms of the structure of um, a literacy block. If you have a workshop model, you want to make sure you're getting a variety of instructional context in, such as um, Kathleen was mentioning, the, the opening mini lesson. Well, perhaps that's through the context of an interactive read aloud. And then you're weaving in some strategies or literary elements or author's craft, whatever it is you, you need and want to teach your students. And then you wanna make sure there's other components going in depending once again on the, the grade level. In the early years, you wanna make sure you have a lot of shared instructional context such as shared reading opportunities, shared writing opportunities, modeled reading, modeled writing throughout the, the grades. And then in that workshop model, uh, that opportunity for independence as well. So independent reading, independent writing, and then that small group instructional context, which will allow you to do um, guided reading, as Kathleen mentioned, strategy groups. Um, you might even get to the context of intervention as well. So you, you wanna make sure you're providing that, that variety of instructional context and components, as well as all of the, the skills and strategies, as well as, um, you know, creating that love of, of reading and of writing and, and learning and discussing and, and that sense of community together. Be because of course, um, like skills and isolation devoid of, of meaning and purpose is, is not going to, to serve you well. You have to find that balance to teach what needs to be taught to, to create, um, you know, this, this literate being. So I'm hearing that while I may have a strong organizational structure or foundation, that the content and the context might be as diverse year upon year as the group of students who might be in my room. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's where that whole data and evidence piece comes in. So whether that, that's formal data, informal data, so much uh, observational data, especially in the early years, you, you have to become a, a really um, good kid watcher, if you will. Uh, you know, language arts and literacy, it's, it's on a continuum. And, you know, children are at different stages all the time and you really have to know your learners well and, and see what can you do for your class or that group of students or the individual student at a particular point in time. And Cheryl, I think what you're saying really speaks to the role of programs um, within our classrooms and the need to really examine that data and evidence, see where our students are at, and then select resources that match our students' needs. Um, and understanding that a program is not a magic bullet 
answer. There is no magic bullet for teaching students how to read and how to read well. It is responsive teaching that is the answer. And certainly resources may be supportive in that, but a program is not the answer. There, there absolutely is no silver bullet uh, in, in the teaching of reading or writing. Um, there, there's no easy path. There can be a joyful path, but, but there's no easy path. Uh, and you have to be um, very knowledgeable and able to dig into the, the research behind a particular program, or at least uh, really know uh, what purpose you're using it for, and will it suit that instructional context? Be, because you don't want to be blindly implementing something that, that is not best for, for students. So no easy path. You need to understand resources, where they fit in, and what context they're appropriate for. And, and what will be that, that best um, book, a text set of leveled readers for guided reading, or that beautiful uh, piece of prose or poetry that, that you want to use maybe to bring your class together at, at the onset and use for the basis of that mini lesson. The complexity of reading is awesome, truly. That's the best word that I have for it at this moment. And when I think about that complexity, I think about all those students who, who do face various struggles in various areas. What might be some supports that would benefit those students who are struggling to learn to read? Again, Jen, I think this answer really depends on the student. There can be a variety of reasons why a student is struggling with reading, um, just as diverse as the students we have in front of us every day. Um, Again, there is no magic answer to that. There's no one program. Um, like Cheryl has said, it, it takes a lot of detective work and understanding of the reading process and uh, lots of assessment, lots of conversation with students, lots of observation to see where that student is truly at, what they're able to do currently, and then determining that next step to move them forward. So it, it again, it's as unique as the individual in front of you. It could be uh, a skill deficit. It could be something else entirely. How would you go about choosing the right support then for those students that are struggling? But again, it's really about the detective work. And if a student needs uh, more work on something, then we provide some extra support in that area for that individual student or for a targeted group. So then if we're considering intervention, we can even think of it in terms of something that we do on a day-to-day -day basis in our classroom. But as we move up in intensity of support, it shifts a little. So we will decrease our group size, we'll increase our intensity of instruction, we'll increase the frequency, we'll increase the time, we'll increase the skill, of the teacher that is carrying forward that intervention. And in that way, we're providing that support at a more intense level um, than just our regular classroom instruction. And again, all based on data and evidence. And sometimes we're, we're constrained by what we can provide as well too. So sometimes we have to find the best path forward with the resources that we have access to. And I, I don't necessarily mean a, a program or physical resources in that respect, but 
sometimes there's timetabling considerations, sometimes there's access to services, sometimes there, there's access to a teacher who could deliver that support depending on what it is that needs to be provided. So it's very unique for every school context. And the more you can put um, those various layers of support in place, the, the more success I think you can have. So the, the more opportunity that you can have for, for meetings to where teachers can come together and collaborate and discuss students' needs, their strengths and, and plan those supports as Kathleen just described as well as administration being a part of it and figuring out what's the best um, format for our timetable so we can provide opportunities to allow for perhaps additional time or supports if it needs to be done outside of the classroom, as well as some physical resources too. Sometimes we need physical materials to to deliver that best support, you know, and it's often in the form of, of good quality text. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific program as such. And then there's level of training. Sometimes we'll find a, a, a gap in the level of um, particular skill or training in a particular area. I mean, there, there's larger context to, you know, professional learning in, a, in an area. But sometimes to get very specific, you need to know how to really target or teach a, a skill or component. So there, there's a lot of factors that go into, into that. You know, in addition to that, um, you had mentioned what can you do with limited resources. There are a lot of situations where we may not have access to a specialist teacher and we need to do the best we can just with, within our classrooms with what we have. And that can be just um, a case of adjusting our what our literacy block looks like a little bit. For example, um, if we are meeting with um, a group of students two times a week and they are really struggling, maybe we want to consider moving that time to four times a week and providing uh, more concentrated support for them over that period of time and more intensive teaching within our classrooms without, having, without reaching outside of our classrooms. There's a, a, a lot of things we can do within uh, what we have. So when we think about those supports that we can provide in the classroom around the differentiation for learning to read and the detective work that needs to go into that, would you say that it's a similar process or are there other considerations for students who are reading to learn? Oh, Jen, thank you for bringing that, that up. Um, I, I have my, my own thoughts around that, that statement and th there's this, this phrase that, that you just mentioned, there's a thought that in the younger grades, usually we say from K up to three or, you know, end of grade two, that students are learning to read. And then we say that, well, from grade three on, now they're reading to learn. And, and I don't actually believe that. And, and the reason is, I, I believe that we are always reading for meaning or for enjoyment and that reading is never devoid of meaning. So, so I, I think it, it, we're always doing it. We're, we're in the older grades, if we need to teach some, some skills or foundational components that is, 
that a student may have missed, then, then we can go back and we're doing that um, learning to read piece, if you will. But I also believe in the primary grades that, that we are reading to learn. I would strongly echo what Cheryl said. We look at reading as accessing meaning through text. And that's our goal right from, right from the early years is to access that meaning through text. We may be um, supporting different areas of reading throughout the years. For example, you know, in grade one, we may be focusing a little more um, in a concentrated manner on decoding, but we're still reading for meaning but we need to help students access that meaning in different ways. So the goal is still the same, reading for meaning regardless of the grade. Okay. But I, would, I would say though, like as far as supports, it's still, no matter what age the student is, it's still a case of analyzing your data and evidence and um, seeing where students are at, what they, where their strengths are, and then what are the next steps to move them forward regardless of what the area is or the age. And what about those students whose difficulty is not necessarily reading, but writing? Yeah, I, I, I'm a firm believer throughout all grade levels that reading and writing are interrelated and one supports the other. So, you know, being read to more or reading more um, contributes to becoming a better writer and writing more contributes to becoming a better reader. So I, I really think they go together, but of course there, there are specific things, just like in reading you can do and, and home in on, you can do in writing as well. If the, uh, and, it, and it's finding out what is that particular area. So are they struggling with formulating ideas? Well, then there's things that you can do to support that. Or are they struggling more with the organization well then there's teaching that can be done to support that so so once again I think there's there's um solid teaching and modeling that can be done but I also think there's ways to to look at and target the the students writing and the evidence that you have so that you can work with a small group or an individual to help target and give them what they need to move them forward but Cheryl as you're speaking I was I was thinking of um, that interconnectedness piece between reading and writing and the importance of providing students with strong models for writing and for reading, which you can do with by sharing a variety of texts with students. Um, you know, especially as writing becomes a little more complex, it's really important for students to understand text structure. So that applies to both reading and writing. So there's a really huge role for sharing quality materials with students and it benefits both reading and writing. So as I hear you talk about that intricacy and that connectedness between reading and writing, I'm hearing a lot of what I, I heard when I was in the classroom of, we are all teachers of literacy. How would you respond to that, that notion? Well, I would wholeheartedly agree with that, <laughs> that we are from the earliest years right up until students graduate. I, I think we, we are all teachers of literacy, whether it's your foundational skills at you know, kindergarten level to your breaking open your content for high school. 
And I, I would add to that as well, when we think about reading as a search for meaning within text, that applies across all content areas. And if we think of literacy as including writing, which is communicating a message through text, that applies across all areas um, as well, bringing into that this, the aspects of speaking and listening and the thought processes that um, require making decisions, thinking critically about arguments. Those are all important areas for all teachers to address. What supports might you recommend then for teachers who are looking to enhance their literacy instructional practice? Yeah, you, there's so many places that, that you can look for that type of support. Some of the things that, that I have found that have served me well over the years, um, you know, more recent years, of course, you know, creating a uh, professional learning network, you know, with, with Twitter, I, I've really enjoyed learning that way from others. And, you know, it, it's so accessible, you can contact people and, and really connect and, you know, just find out more about what they're doing, or even their research, if it's a researcher um, for articles and whatnot, I think you you can really engage in some professional learning opportunities, looking at what's offered and available. I, I take in what I can locally, um, as well as internationally, uh, you know, see, see what organizations you might want to become a part of. I love um, having a membership with the International Literacy Association. I've been a member for years. It's a wealth of resources and information even if you never attend their, their conference, you can still access research and articles, um, professional reading. Uh, I do a lot of that uh, and, and I always have. Um, and you, you'll, you'll find authors, of course, that you enjoy their style or how you know, the book is presented. Um, but, but I know Kathleen and I were just recently talking about you know, the keeping of an open mind. So it's nice to read and learn about things that sort of confirm what you know, or that give you that affirmation, oh, I was on the right track, that's great. But also the things that challenge your thinking so that, that you can um, see where do they fit in to what you know about, you know, the, this whole process of learning to read or write or intervention or how to structure your your literacy block and you know to keep that open mind so that you're always growing and refining your your knowledge and your practice um those are some things that i i've appreciated i love connecting with my colleagues as well uh provincially and and beyond i i think we're just such a, a source of um you know what are you doing in, in your district or your classroom so that I can learn from you and perhaps I can share what I'm doing with you and that can help you out in, in what you're doing as well. So I think that connectedness among colleagues is really important too. Cheryl, I would second all the, those resources that you mentioned and all those things you said. Um, choice literacy is another um, great, uh, another worthwhile membership. Um, in my mind, um, I love what you said about um, keeping an open mind and um, finding things that challenge you too. And when you do come across something that challenge you, challenges you, really questioning, why am I reacting this way? What is it about this? 
that is challenging me right now? Is this something I need to pay attention to? Or I just feel like I, I'm stuck getting stuck in my ways. What is this about this that um, is rubbing me the wrong way? And really investigating that and, you know, weaving or pulling apart the threads of, is this something that I maybe need to learn more about? Why don't I agree with it? where am I at with my thinking with this and why is that is um, something that I think is really key to professional growth because we do have that tendency to look read things that we enjoy and that confirm what we already know but challenging our beliefs is um, can definitely lead to some professional growth we talk about growth and student learning by by making them uncomfortable first and then comfortable with the learning. And I would say that based on your comments, we're suggesting the same thing for the growth in learning for teachers as well. Absolutely, absolutely, Jen. And if we move beyond that teacher level now, what are your thoughts around instructional leadership around literacy? Mm. You know, I, I think... Uh, administrators need to know literacy and I don't think they necessarily need to know how to deliver an instructional context in literacy I don't think they need to be experts in delivering guided reading or experts in delivering a comprehension strategy lesson but I really do think they need to know literacy in order to lead it so I think there needs to be an awareness of what's out there in research in terms of best practices, resources, um, how to structure time for it. I, I think the, the recognition of um, that teacher leader or group of teachers in your school who can be really uh, advocates for it and, you know, uh, doing what you can to support them because they'll be the ones to promote that excitement and growth and perhaps lead some professional learning opportunities. I think you need to know literacy as an instructional leader so that when you're doing your walkthroughs that you know what you see is good practice. And, and if you're not seeing it, then you know how to engage in the conversations around it. So, so I do think that you need to know literacy. Cheryl, I 100% I agree with you. Um, I, I also, I understand that school leaders are very busy. It's very helpful for them to be included in professional learning with teachers. So they have the, the same understanding that the teachers do. I'm thinking of a, a team approach to learning, to professional learning in this school, Cheryl. That's what I'm that's what I'm hearing from you um, with what you're saying. The principal plays a key role within that team as far as developing their own understanding, um, setting the course for professional learning in conjunction with other leaders in the school. Um, but also in supporting the follow through so that practice actually can change. That principle plays a really strong role in supporting the growth of professional learning in the school. So as you talk a little bit about those teams, 
I wonder if we can bring this back to our experience around collaborative response. So Cheryl, I know you mentioned those ideas, the bringing teachers together. How do you see literacy intertwined with collaborative response? Mm -hmm. Well, if we start with the collaborative team meeting, you could have that as a literacy focus. And then initially when we have those meetings, we're relying on the data and evidence piece. So, so we have that collection process, whether that be through observations, through a screen, through diagnostic assessment, formative assessment, but we have that data and evidence piece that we bring to the collaborative team meeting. And we are identifying um, students who need support and we are identifying that area or that key issue that they need support with. We're bringing it larger than one student in my classroom that I'm having this um, key issue surface for. And we're now broadening it to these are all our students. And I'm sure that if I'm having this, this struggle or not sure what to do, perhaps someone else is as well. And together collectively, perhaps we can come up with some ideas that can better support them. So you can have literacy as a focus within a collaborative team meeting, uh, within the data and evidence collection and ongoing observation process of that. And then that can lead into your professional learning opportunities with your team, your planning time as well, because now you're, you're going to have that with that literacy focus. Um, it could be in creating resources or materials that are going to support the students that you had just identified and talked about and come up with some ways to support them. Maybe you now need time together to, to work on that. So you have your collaborative planning time, you have your collaborative team meeting, and then you can see how it progresses along in the other layers of meeting when we have more intensive supports or conversations, then that goes to that next level at the school level, and then on to where we have uh, at the very uh, highest and our students who are now being supported by outside service providers as well. So then, you know, that case conference might be around supporting the students' um, very specific literacy needs or other in that, that um, end of our continuum when you think of all of the components around um, the, the meeting structure, as well as then the, the data and evidence. First, Cheryl, as you were talking, I was thinking particularly about our layers of teams and what happens within our embedded collaborative time. So within our embedded collaborative time, we can look at our data and evidence and we can do an analysis of that. And from there, we can identify um, some specific areas that are standing out to us that maybe we need to look more closely at as a team. Um, and then we can direct our professional learning towards that. Um, we can also look at those key issues that are coming up um, from our data and evidence, aside from our classroom observations, the ones that are visible in our data, and then that can feed into our collaborative team meetings. And throughout that, we can start to build our collective capacity through sharing of strategies around those key issues. So from that way, we can move some of our key issues that are apparent in our data and evidence in our 
embedded collaborative time data analysis into our collaborative team meetings and as well um, build our own resources, professional learning around some of those things that we are seeing in our data. So when we um, first build a continuum of supports, we have got a wide collection of ideas because we're honoring all the practices that are happening in our school and we're honoring all the, the great things that we're doing. Um, but over time, we want to take a closer look and we understand that our tier one supports should not our support should go more in a diamond shape through the tiers rather than a triangle. So quite often we'll have a lot of supports at the tier one level when we start to, when we initially build our continuum of supports, but we're going to start to question like, is this something, is this a universal support for all students? So for example, if I am using echo reading, is echo reading a support that is that all students get all of the time. If it is, great, then that maybe is a strategy that belongs in tier one. If it doesn't, it may move to tier two. But what if we also have oral reading in our tier one supports? Do all students get that all the time? Maybe, maybe not. If not, it goes to tier two, but what do those have in common? They're, all, they're both building fluency. So maybe fluency instruction is something that would belong in tier one. And how we reach that, how we support fluency instruction can look many different ways, but that may be a priority for us. Um, I would use another example of um, guided reading. Does every student in the school get guided reading? Maybe, maybe not. Strategy groups may be also there, but not every student maybe is in a strategy group. So maybe it's looking for a theme within those. And that theme might be small group instruction as something that every student um, participates in. So part of that is looking for the themes and grouping those ideas into um, themes. For example, formative assessment, small group instruction, maybe um, some inclusion of fluency. However, that may look within a guided reading lesson within a, you know, a larger group context as needed. So uh, refining those things, those practices into themes, deciding if they belong in tier one or if they're really a tier two support or if they belong something else or somewhere else, um, deciding is this actually a good solid practice or is this a, an accommodation? What is that, what's the differences between those two? And then um, maybe looking at data and evidence, if students are not progressing, then really revisiting our tier one practices and seeing are these aligned with with research and with best practice, or is this just, or is this something that we've traditionally done? So um, when those are refined, then um, instructional leaders can start to, or administrators, instructional leaders can start to go into classrooms and say, okay, well, I do see small instruction here, or I do see um, they've brought fluency instruction into this lesson. Before I let the literacy ladies get back to the important work that they do, I wonder if they have any final words of wisdom around literacy and literacy instruction for our viewers today. I would say always consider engagement, choice, and joy, and the purpose of, of what we're doing. We're making reading like meaningful and engaging, and it's about learning and progressing and asking questions and all those really um, amazing experiences that we have as learners. Yeah, I, I would echo 
that, Kathleen. I, I believe uh, literacy learning can be so joyful and even the teaching of particular skills when, when they need to be taught. I think that can all be done in a very joyful manner. So I think keep the, keep the joy throughout, absolutely, from the early years right on through to, to high school. You want to create these students who, who love reading, who enjoy writing and um, can, can think critically and engage and communicate effectively. So, yeah, and, and as a, as a, a professional to, to continue your own professional learning journey because there's, there's so much to it. And if you feel like there's an area that you don't um, know as much about, um, you know, engage in that, have some curiosity and, and seek out opportunities to learn. I, I know I, I continue to learn. Sometimes I feel like there's so much that, that I don't know and that there's just not enough time to, to um, pursue all of those paths for the things that I want to learn more about or become better at. Oh, Cheryl, true story. I always think the more I know, the less I know. Yes. The more questions I have, the more I learn, the more questions open up. And the more I realize that it's a huge world mm -hmm. um, to understand. Ladies, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And I will let you get back to the important work that you're doing with our partners around literacy. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen.